The Once and Future Nerd Book One Princes of Jordan Chapter One The Prince of Jordan Episode Six After the young humans were allowed to sleep for much longer than they had in three days, and on mattresses no less, Brennan led his party to the part of the city unofficially reserved for people whose fathers had very little gold indeed. Several such personages watched the party furtively from the shadows and alleys. General. Nia peeked out from behind a corner with a hooded cloak and a walking staff and joined the group. Soon they came to a small guardhouse, in which a single guard snored loudly. The party easily hopped over the turnpike in his charge, and descended a flight of stone steps. The stairs led down to the canals of Armstrongard, which were lined by brick walls and stone walkways. What are we looking for? I'm not sure yet. Nia looked at the end of her staff, and a faint blue glow radiated from it. When she touched the staff to the walls, the bricks around it glowed as well. Nia dragged her staff across the wall for a hundred or so paces until they came across a brick that did not glow. A hollow brick. Makes sense. A thief's hands would recognize it. She pushed on the brick with her staff and quickly backed away. By some unseen mechanism, a previously invisible doorway opened in the wall. The door led to a tangle of tunnels and subterranean shanties, interweaving as though it were a city unto itself. Echoing along from further down the tunnels, a raucous crowd was audible. I'm guessing that's a good place to start investigating. As they headed towards the source of the noise, the looks the party got from the lurkers about down here made the looks they got above ground seem downright amiable. After walking a few hundred yards, they found the source of the noise to be a ramshackle but bustling tavern. Oh good. I love drinking in sewers. Nia, it's probably safest if you wait outside with the young ones. Gladly. Brennan and Yellowin headed off towards the tavern. Yell out if you need some backup. The general and the elf deigned to dignify this suggestion with a sideways glance before continuing on their way. As it happened, the woman they sought, Erona Regan, the so-called thief queen of Armstrongard, was taking her supper at that very tavern, as she did on many nights at about that time. But, by her own design, very few people could connect her face with her infamous name. Least of all people of any social standing, like Brennan and Yillowy. She sat alone at a candle-lit table in an outfit so nondescript that the details have not made it down to posterity. Her hair was exactly as short as it could be without seeming strange on a woman. She was just about to start in on her supper, when a particularly repugnant specimen of mankind one of the few people who did know who she was, approached her table. 
Well, fuck me sideways, Arona Regan, just who I was looking for. He sat down across from her. I'd compare his mannerisms to that of a slime mold, but I've met a few very charming slime molds. And I'm just thrilled you found me, Kelly. Ah, you don't sound thrilled. No, really, by the gods, Kelly. My nipples are hard. Fucked up about flowers and needle, huh? Dangerous city. Dangerous line of work. Kelly grabbed the sleeve of a passing serving girl. Hail, sweetheart. I'll be paying my bill. If you leave now, I won't get to tell you about a very lucrative business opportunity. Brandy, strong as you've got. Kelly smiled at Regan. Make that a double. All the while, Nia and the young human stood waiting at a safe distance from the tavern. It was at this point that Nia could no longer keep quiet about the dye that Nelson wore around his neck. You shouldn't wear the tokens of Gradian. But these are my lucky dice. Nelson, I think they might mean something different here than they do at home. What do they mean where you come from? That he's a virgin. Here, they mean you worship chaos. And everyone I know has lost something dear to chaos. It was then they noticed the five men with piecemeal arms and armor walking into the tavern. One of them shot Billy a dirty look as they disappeared through the doorway. Douchebags. They're lucky I'm just covering the door. You're also unarmed. Just because I'm not some fairy with a bow and arrow, everyone thinks I can't fight. No, no, of course you can fight, baby. We just need you out here to protect us. Jen pulled Billy into an embrace, but over his shoulder, looked at Nia as if to say, what else can be done? Back in the tavern, Brennan and Yellowin were still unsure what exactly they should be looking for, and even more unsure whom it might be worth asking. So nothing caught their attention about a ragged man and nondescript woman being served drinks over in a corner somewhere. And what very reputable source brought you this business opportunity? You don't trust me. I don't trust anybody. And we both know you've got about as much business sense as my cunt has armor. I heard it was steel plated. <laughs> What's the fucking job, Kelly? A couple of sellswords been around, been asking about you. Subtly, almost mindlessly, Regan picked a long splinter off of the table and examined it. Some asshole's always looking for me. These assholes are offering a lot of money. She dipped the splinter into the candle and watched it slowly burn, as one does who is trying to stave off boredom. So what are you proposing? I'm proposing I lead them to you, and then buy me the sweetest little whore in Armstrongar. Three of the threatening-looking men from outside emerged from the crowd and surrounded the table. I never said it was lucrative for you. This finally caught the attention of Brennan and Yellowin, who watched the situation unfold with their hands never too far from their weapons. It's a smart move, Kelly. I didn't think you had it in you. Her eyes did not leave her burning splinter. Silly bitch. Your mommy and daddy never teach you not to play with fire? I didn't really have what you'd call a traditional childhood. She dropped the splinter into her brandy, igniting it in a bluish rush of air, and in the same motion, threw the flaming liquid into Kelly's face. He screamed, but his screams soon turned to gurgles as Regan's table knife punctured his neck. The cell swords darted at her, but before they could react, Regan overturned her table and took refuge behind it. 
That was when the first sellsword was introduced to a nasty little weapon called a razor star. Regan had thrown two of them into his chest before disappearing behind the table. The second thought for a moment to avenge the first, but his hopes were dashed by one of Brennan's throwing axes. Yilloween had a shot lined up at the third sword, until a fourth tried to ambush him from the side. The elf unstrung his arrow and jammed it through the fourth man's eye. He knocked another and killed his original target effortlessly. The crowd at the tavern, while perfectly comfortable with a few drunken brawls each night, was not accustomed to mortal combat. They had begun to pour out into the underground street where the rest of the party was waiting. After a moment of calculation, in which he made an accurate assessment that help might be needed, and an inaccurate assessment of how much he'd be able to provide, Billy took off into the tavern. Wait! Nia ran after him, likewise for Nelson, leaving Jen outside the tavern, frightened, confused, and unsure of where she would be safest. When Billy entered the tavern, he saw a sellsword running at Yilloween's back with weapon drawn. He took a deep breath and lined up precisely the kind of tackle his football coach had taught him. It did nothing to knock down the much stronger man, but the form was impeccable. The sellsword delivered a knee to Billy's nose, breaking it and spraying blood everywhere. He raised his sword with intent of cutting short young Billy's life, but suddenly stopped and grimaced, as if in pain. True to her promise, Nia's magic had saved Billy. Her staff had not done much harm to the sellsword, but had stopped him long enough for Billy to dive out of striking distance. Their foe turned to strike Nia, but a devastating blow from Brennan's battle axe cleaved him nearly in twain from neck to flank. What was left of him crumpled to the ground, spilling blood and bone and bowels onto the sawdust-covered floor. Nia turned away, barely able to stomach the sight and stench. Nelson and Billy immediately vomited. Naught remained in the bloody rat, save for Brennan, Yillowin, Nia, Billy, Nelson, and the broken bodies of the sellswords. Brennan soon noticed this. Where in Silberen is that woman? Drop your weapons. They wheeled around to see Regan holding hostage a terrified-looking Jen with a Mooncrest-style dagger at her throat. I don't care if you're a girl. I will stomp your ass if you don't let her go. Regan looked Billy up and down, more amused than anything. Try it. I got nothing against you, but if your friends don't drop their weapons right now, I will fucking gut you like dinner. Scratch her and we'll come at you with all our might. And I'll kill you all too. Might be that you're able, but then we'll all be dead. And you don't know what that. Says who? You were outside before we even noticed you were missing. What'd you come back for? All right, Grandpa, well played. Why did two groups come after me at the same time? Why is one of them wearing the king's crest? And why are people I grew up with turning up dead? I can only answer as to why we're here, but it will be much easier to talk if we put our weapons away. I've heard that one before. Please, unhand the girl. She's no harmed you. And who says you won't? 
I suppose our word as members of the king's court would mean little to you. You have five seconds to answer my god's damned question or she dies. Wait, you said your friends are turning up dead? Friends is a bit strong, but near enough. Are you a bastard, orphan, cripple, ethnic minority, or otherwise scorned by society? Yes, yes, no, no, and yes. Great investigating. Anyone could have told you that. Brennan, there's something about her that's important on its own, separate from this whole traitor thing, isn't there? What in Selburn is this kid talking about? Whenever the heroes meet a bastard, or an orphan, or a one-armed priest, or whatever, and someone powerful is going around killing all of the one-armed priests, they're always important later on. Ignore him. He's just a boy with too many poems and fables in his head. I know a fable about a pretty girl who died because her friends talked too much. The boys are right. What? What? There's a good chance those sellswords were hired by one of the enemies of House Guernatal. Felgir, if I had to guess. Why? Let the girl go and we can talk. So some big fancy lords and ladies want me dead. But you guys just want to talk. Convenient. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, is she not? All eyes darted over to the sellsword with the razor stars in his chest. Would you wager her life on this Felgia thing? And wager my own. Brennan cautiously laid his axe at his feet. Nia did the same with her staff. Reluctantly, Yellowin lowered his bow and returned the loaded arrow to his quiver. Regan searched the party for a short eternity with her calculating eyes, and then released her hostage. Jen dashed over to Billy and shook as he held her. Regan knelt beside the wounded sellsword, who was nominally conscious but drooling blood, and put her dagger to his throat. Why are you here? Fuck off. I'm dead anyway. Death doesn't need to be an unpleasant experience, but I promise it can be... My father taught me, a man should never die on his knees. It's a good lesson. Whether or not it applies to you depends on how you define a man. She cut loose his belt, pulled down his leggings, and put her dagger not on his throat. A bounty! Who put it out? General Treft! This greatly disturbed Brennan. Good boy. She brought her knife back to his throat. Wait! Not like that. Nia came over to Regan and the soul sword. After sizing Nia up for a moment, Regan shrugged, stood, and walked away. Nia knelt beside the dying man and pulled up his leggings. I'm cold. Nia kissed him on the forehead and put her hand over his heart. Quiet, child. Fear neither cold nor darkness of night. For soon you shall bask in the infinite light of Galadin's loving embrace. As the spirit leaves the body, so both return to their rightful place. If you had been there and looked closely, you might have seen the wisps of ice curling out of her fingers. You would certainly have seen the man's breathing greatly quicken, then slow, then stop completely. Nia traced the circle around his heart, closed his eyelids, and then stood somberly. You're first. Was that mercy? You did the right. The young humans looked rather forlorn, having never watched anyone die before today. 
Nelson chose to deal with his fear and grief by resetting the places at the bar. What did you do? His heart was already crawling. It only took a simple frost enchantment to stop it. Painlessly. Well, we are all very impressed, Miss Holy. How about you bring some of that frost enchantment this way? Regan held up her throwing hand, which had begun to blister. She noticed the young humans wincing. Advice for the young ones. If you ever find yourself in a fight where you're improvising with fire, something's gone very wrong. Nia picked up an abandoned flagon of ale and set to work again with her frost enchantment. This was when Regan noticed Jen's morally supportive attire. The fuck are you wearing? Armor? It's good for mobility. <laughs> mobility? <laughs> I've never lost a fight because my tits were too stiff. Hey, she feels sexy in it. He dabbed at his profusely bleeding nose. That's lovely. But I bet you prefer not to get stabbed. Am I right, dear? Billy, I think you need some ice, too. Nia had turned the ale into frozen slush, of which Regan grabbed a handful and let it melt in her hand. After she had walked away, a still frightened Jen grabbed a handful as well and dabbed it on Billy's nose. All right, Grandpa, now would be a great fucking time to tell me what this is all about. If Traff put out the bounty, our situation is even more dire than I feared. I'm sorry that I misled you all. I hoped that by keeping this knowledge from you, I might better protect your safety and our mission. I doubt our enemies know everything, but they clearly know some, and we'll piece together the rest soon enough. It's time you all knew as well. What do you know of your forebears? I don't have forebears. You rich people have forebears. I had a beggar mother and a whore for a grandmother. Good. You know that much. Three days ago, Her Majesty High Queen Dagmar died in childbirth. The child was lost as well, leaving no known heir to the High Throne and enemies to House Gwernatal closing in. You'll forgive me for not shedding any tears for the decline of the monarchy? The family I have served my entire life is in tatters. And the king I am sworn to protect is possibly dead or imprisoned as we speak. I do not doubt that you've had a harder life than most kings. But if you've any decency left, show some respect. I'm sorry about your friends, okay? But I need to know why people with laws in front of their names give a shit about me all of a sudden. Did you know that King Gunther studied here as a young man? Most of his kind do. Gunther grew into a great man, but he was not immune to the weaknesses of young men. It was known to most of his court that he had once fathered a bastard. It was also known that his bastard died about 20 years ago. What was not known to anyone but Gunther and me, or so I thought, was that his bastard had a bastard who would now have been about 20 years. A look of realization crept over Regan's face. And now you're here, talking to me. I'm still confused. Of course you are. Erona Regan is the granddaughter of His Majesty High King Gunther Guernator. As of three days ago, she is his last living kin, and thereby heir to House Guernator. Tomorrow, we begin her campaign for the High Throne of Jordan. Thank you.
For additional information and bonus content, access onceandfuturenerd.com on your computer machine. The Once and Future Nerd is written and created by Zach Glass and Christian Madeira. It is performed by Garrett Armin, Hayes Dunlop, Anya Gibeon, Ian Harkins, Emily Kukuk, Frank Queris, Julie Reed, Perry Strong, and Dylan Uremovich. It is co-executive produced by Jess Kelly and directed and edited by Christian Madeira. Production sound engineering is done by Gary O'Keefe, with dialogue editing and foley by Tommy Stang, and post-production mixing and sound design by Sandra Ramirez. Theme music is composed by Tom Lee. Thanks for downloading. <laughs>